Welcome back to JB Squared. I'm JB Hager, joined by Johan Bernil. We're deep, deep, deep in this 2023 Tour de France stage 18. We're going to talk about what went down today. Uh, miraculous uh, uh, breakaway that no one would have thought would stay. And we'll have Johan break that down and tell us what's going on and the players involved, which is why it was able to stick. We'll get into that. And you Jonas fans, we're going to clear the air a little bit. We got you guys a little upset yesterday, <laughs> but we'll tackle all that and more on this episode of JB Squared. Yohan, we're going to start out talking about something from yesterday, which we rarely do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we got we got people a little upset, a little upset because we spent a lot, and it, I don't, it wasn't intentional. We just spent a lot of time talking about Tadej Pogacar and his season and maybe leadership and direction of how his season should unfold. And then, you know, and of course, addressing his broken wrist and what the expectations were and expectations from sponsors. But the way a lot of our audience took it that are big Jonas Vingago fans is that we weren't giving him the credit he deserves for the amazing ride he has done. Yeah. It felt like we were saying, well, if Pogacar was this, 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 he would have won. Yeah, that no, wasn't I, that I, wasn't where we, what we meant. No, I agree. I agree, JB. And you know, yesterday evening I was thinking, and actually, I'll I'll have to talk about today about the same exact thing on La Movida or Spanish show. Um, you know, for to, just to make things clear, you know, uh, it's never been our intention to uh, diminish the extraordinary performance of of Jonas Vingegaard. You know, I mean, uh, he was very very strong on stage five already. He did an amazing, amazing time trial, and uh, and yesterday he, uh, you know, he put the nail in the coffin, and and Pogacar lost six minutes. Um, but I do think, however, that that's maybe why we spend a little bit more time on it. Uh, a part of the extraordinary winner Felix Gall, uh, the event of yesterday's of yesterday was the 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 the, the breakdown of of Tadej Pogacar. Uh, you know, that was the event of the stage. Um, and, and in, in all that, you know, between between the battle for the stage and then the the, the downfall of Pogacar, it kind of was forgotten a little bit that Vingegaard was the only one to go from the, the, the favorites. And then he went, of course, he was the fastest up the climb and, uh, and basically sealed the deal yesterday. Um, but above all... Um, you know, it's never, it's absolutely not the case that we think, or at least I don't think that uh, Vingegaard w- will win this tour because Pogacar was, was, is, is getting, is getting, I mean, he's not going to say he's getting bad. He's definitely, he's still in second, you know, mm-hmm. but he's not up to the level that we expected. You know, it is after all the second year in a row that Jonas Vingegaard is the strongest and, uh, you know, this victory in that time trial confirms that Jonas Vingegaard is stronger than last year. Um, and I think we said this already from the beginning that, that Vingegaard was, was stronger than last year and the times, the, the climbing times confirmed that. And obviously, you know, there's, there's mo- the team firmly believes in him. He has the experience. He has the confidence now. Also he is coming to more maturity. So, if we have given the impression uh, that that was absolutely not our intention, and uh, I have to say chapeau to to how he's dealing with this status of 
being the favorite. You know, we it's well known that last year it was all new for him, but it's it's quite impressive to see how he's dealing with you know being the favorite and and dealing with the pressure that comes with it. So um I you know I hope that with this I can make it clear that it was absolutely not our intention, but I, I felt like that was the event of the day yesterday, the downfall of Pogacar, because we've never seen it before. You know, I'll, I'll add to this too. We, you know, all year have, have been critical of UAE's plan for the season. Mm -hmm. So on the opposite side of that, and this goes back to your strategy as postal director, uh, for Vingegaard, it was a plan for him and the whole season for this one event, which is something yeah. that, that you always did. And, and that's the reason you were, were critical of UAE. So, you know, I think we could easily commend him for that. Like having the focus, knowing that this is the more, most important thing and not chasing down anything else could, you know, is very impressive. Yeah. I mean, he did uh, on the way, on the way, on the way, he won a lot of races, you know, but he was not, he was not yet at 100%. You know, he won the Dauphiné. He won the Tour of the Basque Country. Uh, he won the, the first race he started in this, I always forget the name, O Gran Camino, I think, in, in Galicia. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not just him, it's his whole team. You know, the team, Team Jumbo Visma, obviously they have really, really thought about this, really planned everything. And uh, there's nothing left to uh, just... To improvise, they 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 knew already in in December that the time trial, for example, that they were not going to do a bike change. Uh, they were just you know they they have great riders, uh, they have the experience, and they're prepared the best. I think other teams are also well prepared, but I think Jimbo Visma just takes it one step further, and they uh, they leave nothing, nothing, nothing to uh, to coincidence. You know, you you probably dealt with the same thing uh, as director that first year when the when Lance won. There were there were criticisms. Oh, so and so wasn't there. They weren't all yeah. there, and you would yeah, same, and you would and discredit same exact thing, right? Same thing, same thing. You know, first year, uh, Yapantani was not there. Ulrich was not there. First year, uh, then the second year. Um, I don't know if they were both there. I think so. I don't remember now. But anyway, then there was another year that Ulrich again was not there. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it is, it is proper to being in that situation. So it's not going to stop, you know, it's going to keep going. Yeah. Uh, you know, once you're there on top, as we said yesterday, now comes the time that, you know, he's won twice. Now comes the time that they're going to start to judge him. <laughs> uh, there's going to come a time that he doesn't win the tour. For one or one reason or the other, it's going to be seen as a failure. It's such a tough sport. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's tough to get there. It's tough to stay there. It's, yeah. yeah, and it's critical. But anyhow, hopefully, uh, we got to clear the air a little bit. It is the, the most amazing performance we've seen since we've been doing the move in JB squared. I would say. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, that time trial was incredible. Uh, it was. He was. I spoke to someone about it today you know because <clears throat> there's been comments and people who question the, the the performances and you know people just have to, and i think personally what happened in that time trial is you know and everybody who has been a cyclist at a certain level knows 
or has the, had the experience that sometimes there are days that you are just, you say, I, I am flying. I'm just, I don't know how I did this, but I, it's unbelievable. We, you know, and I think personally that in that time trial, Vingegaard had a day like that. You could clearly see also after the stage, he was surprised. His team was surprised. I've listened to the various team managers, the interviews in Dutch. They were confident, but they didn't expect that kind of performance. And he was just on, he was racing in a state of grace. Yeah. As you guys always say, and I don't think we've said it this year, no chain. Yeah, no, he could do anything. It was, it was unbelievable. He was flying and, uh, you know, sometimes very seldom in a career, but you have sometimes two or three days like this, they can say, wow, today there was nobody going to get even close to me. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And sometimes there's no explanation for it. It's just, you know, everything's hitting right. All right. Now let's actually talk about today's race. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you could shed some light on, on how this breakaway stayed away. It was a bit of a surprise in, you know, I always think about the phrase you say, you got to have a calculator in your pocket because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, uh, and, uh, you know, by looking at it, you're like, okay, this Peloton's going to catch this breakaway and it's going to be a sprint and it'll probably mm-hmm. be, <laughs> uh, Philipson again. Yeah. That well, let's happen. start. Let's start with another event uh, this morning. Walt Van Aert not taking the start. Um, you know, we all knew that his his wife is about to have their they're about to have their second baby. So personally, I think that after yesterday, with seven minutes advantage, uh, the team has said, and Walt has said, okay, I think I'm fine. We're fine now. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guys bring it to Paris, <laughs> and and I'm going home to I, make do, sure. Do Do you suspect if it was still a tighter race, he would have stayed another day? It seems like my my impression is, hey, we've got a nice gap. The, I the, think my, so. My, yeah. my work is done. But if it was well, tighter, he might have reconsidered. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the baby is about to be born or if it's gonna take. Normally, I I heard that. His wife was due like a few days after the tour normally. Yeah. Of course, you don't know now in the last few days, but um, for sure, this seven minute gap has, you know, <laughs> made it pretty clear that, you know, Walt, we don't really need you anymore. You're, let, just, you just go home and be with, be with your family. And, um, and, and all of his hard work did not go unnoticed either. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, th- there are certain things that Jimbo Visma did in this Tour de France Sometimes we scratched our heads, you know, what are they doing? But you can only do that if you have a guy like Wolf on Art on your team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I read uh, some numbers here and this, it's been 171 race days for Walt Van Art without a did not finish, without an abandon. 171 wow. race days. Uh, that's very, very unique. It's that's, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, what, what do they do? 60, 60, 60, 65 races per year. It's almost three years without the DNF. Mm. Yeah. And as <laughs> DNF we know, means sta- does not finish. <laughs> yeah. 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 Staying healthy and staying one piece is a big part yeah. of the battle. 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Dis- I'm I'm bummed for him that he didn't get a win in this tour. That would have been nice to see. But he's he was going to get his it. biggest win now after the tour, getting his second child. Yeah. Yeah. You okay. Know. Yeah. Uh, anyways, back to the race. Um, kilometer zero attack of Casper Asgreen, first attacker. Um, two guys join him: Victor Kampenarts and Jonas Abrahamson. And mm-hmm. you know the. The, the goal was definitely have more than three riders. Uh, and so they get a, they get a gap. Um, they were kind of pushing it, but not too much to see if there was more riders coming, but apparently in the Peloton, the sprinters team started to pull straight away. Alpacin, um, and, and Jayco, I think. Um, so, you know, then everybody said, okay, well, you know what, this is going to be a bunch for anyway, let these guys out there and, we're just uh, gonna stay here, you know. So, uh, if you if you look during the whole stage, JB, the breakaway has never had more than one minute eleven seconds. The the maximum was one minute eleven seconds. Three guys, you know, you would say, well, three guys. Let's just let's let's just give them three minutes and three four minutes, and then we pull them back at the end, right? Uh, because normally from the beginning on, there's already some kind of agreement between two or three teams that say okay you know what we want a bunch print we're going to put two or three guys there we're fine let let's just just let them ride you know um so the moment the, the peloton started to make a put a tempo the breakaway in my uh, at least as far as i have seen this is what happened the breakaway has actually adapted their speed and their advantage to the speed of the peloton they were not trying to get further away they were always there, one minute, one minute, 10, 50 seconds, 45 seconds, one minute again. So they were actually adapting their speed, those three guys, to the speed of the peloton. And the peloton has always been, because you know what, one minute, you you know you're getting them. You know, it's like, you can say two minutes, two and a half minutes, or maybe, you know, maybe if the breakaway keeps something and they start pushing at the end, maybe we don't have enough to close that last 30, 40 seconds. But one minute... That's like okay, piece of cake. You know, the, the break, the, the peloton was never ever under the impression that they would not catch them. I think that has been the key to uh, to their success today, because as we know, they stayed up front. As we see here in in the back, you know, we see Casper Asgreen winning the sprint, and <clears throat> we see <clears throat> Victor Campenarts there with the blue helmet getting caught by the first riders of the peloton. Um, so they did an amazing job. They did an amazing job. On top of that, I think Lotto really played it well by you know, taking advantage of a moment of relax in the peloton to, 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 to have another guy jump, Pascal Inkhorn, uh, jumped to across. And then uh, when he was almost there, Campenars dropped back. Both of them went to the front. And that was, that was another fresh guy up there. Um, and let's say that these three or ultimately four guys were basically riding against four other guys, two from Alpacin and two from Jaco, you know, and then at the end, and that's, let's also not forget, you know, we're stage 18. There's a lot of teams that are not complete anymore. People are tired. Uh, Alpacin, you know, they had to at least keep two guys on top of Philipson for the final. So, you know, they can't sacrifice all of these guys, right? And so 
um i think that's what that's what really uh was the key to their success first of all three and then ultimately four really really strong riders i mean if you see asgreen Kampenarts and and abrahamson and then and then acorn still in great shape also in in at the end of this tour you know that these guys are going to go for it at the end that those those guys can hammer and uh and yeah the peloton just uh, at the end they didn't have the the strength anymore and then on top of that you had the guys of sudal quickstep disturbing the 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 chase right they went in between and disturbing i mean you you're allowed to do that you know you just go sit in second wheel or third wheel so that the the fourth or the fifth guy takes a lot more time to to come across and and take take a pull so um yeah, yeah I mean, just those, and you saw Alaphilippe doing it. Those disruptions, they just get to the front, soft pedal a little bit, then pull yeah. over. It's just a few seconds here and there yeah. where it would have been pulled back. Yeah, and especially they start to do that when they feel that the guys that are pulling are are, are on the limit, right? So they were already at, I mean, because at the end, the guys in the front went 60. So in the peloton, they had to go 65 per hour. And at this point, in in the tour, this, the guys don't have that speed anymore in the legs. Mm-mm. You know, they're they're really good at maintaining the same pace, but you know that big difference in pace is not there anymore compared to week one. If this is week one, it's game over. Nobody, I mean, no chance. But in on stage eighteen, uh, there was a chance. So I mean, what a what a win for for Casper Asgreen, especially for Sudal Quickstep. You know they they came into this Tour de France. Uh, they lost Fabio Jakobsen. Uh, they tried a lot, a lot, a lot. They were in a lot of breakaways, especially Alaphilippe. Um, and then uh, yeah, finally you know win a stage. At this point, that's all what's left: winning a stage. And and there's so many teams who haven't won a stage that it's like, whew, okay. This at least saves our face. I'm not going to say it saves the tour, but because they probably went for more, but it kind of, then you start to put things in perspective, you know, okay, these guys have dominated. They have won those stages. There's more than half of the teams that that didn't win anything. At least we got something, right? Today's show is brought to you by One Skin. I've added this to my daily routine. And as I've told you before, uh, at the urging of my daughter, <laughs> she's like, dad, you're always out in the sun and we're always out on the boat on the lake. And she's like, you're not taking care of yourself. All right. And so I wish she, someone had like had that, uh, brutal talk with me 20 years ago. I probably would have aged a lot better, but, uh, now I'm using one skin, two products, one that's just daily all over my face. And then one that really helps with the, the bags under my eyes, the scientists at one skin found the oso one peptide can reverse a skin's biological age and it can also reduce a number of zombie cells they're called uh senescent cells by up to 50 percent and this is what's interesting they spent five years testing almost a thousand peptides and they landed on the os1 and this has been clinically tested and clinically proven to uh, strengthen the skin barrier and significantly decrease visible signs of aging. Give it a try. Add it to your routine. Take care of your skin. If you're listening to this, I know you're probably out in the wind and the sun on your bike a lot, and this will treat your skin so much better. 
that you can get 15% off with the code JB2, JB squared at oneskin.co. Again, that's 15% off at oneskin.co with the code JB2. Today's show is also brought to you by Ketone IQ. Uh, that's by uh, HVMN. And, you know, all of us here at the We Do Crew have been using them. And this is, I started a few months ago uh, as part of my daily routine, taking it every morning. And I can tell you a few things I've noticed. One, I used to be a four or five cup of coffee drinker. Since I started doing ketone IQ first thing in the morning, I have a cup of coffee. One. So I'm not having that big bonk. And I've also noticed that out here when we have this heavy load during the Tour de France, we're putting out four shows a day. What would typically happen to me, and again, this is our seventh year doing this, we would get done with all the shows. I get back to the house and I would just be bonked. I just wanted to crash so hard. Uh, now I get home. I'm fine. I'm ready to move on, ready to go do some stuff, go for a ride go downtown, hang out, do whatever I want to do. I don't have that bonk. Uh, and I've also shared with you how I just feel in general, how it's helped with clarity, sharpness, uh, just feeling better all around. Try a subscription, give it three months or so, and you can get 30% off that first subscription order of ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash the move. Again, 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash the move. Last but not least, I want to tell you about our friends at Ventum. Uh, I now have had an NS1 for a couple of years, just picked up the GS1 a few months before heading out here uh, to Colorado to do this. I've enjoyed riding both of them for different reasons. Uh, and, you know, I know our audience too. You guys like uh, any excuse to, to add another bicycle to the quiver. If you haven't tried the GS1, you can do it as low as $29.99 with the SRAM Apex AXS. But if you have a, a personal preference of how you want to build out your bike, you want to upgrade that, you can uh, certainly do that. It's very easy to do online, very easy to go through all the details, pick all the components you want, and enjoy it. And I'll give you another little fun fact here. You know, you hear us joking about Spencer. He's a numbers guy, the propeller head, as we call him. Uh, he rides the same size bike as me. Took my GS1 when he was here this past weekend. And he said, hey, I just had my second fastest time up uh, Maroon Bells on your gravel bike, comparing it to all my road bike trips up this very same climb. So... Take it from him. He's a numbers guy, trust me. And he was really impressed at how well the gravel bike rides on the road as well. So uh, go check it out. Build out your own bike and uh, you'll get 10% off when you use the code WEDU at checkout. And you can do all that at VentumRacing.com slash the move. Sudal Quickstep didn't have the normal dominant spring campaign that we've seen. In no. The I mean, and since we've been doing this show, yeah, they always dominate the spring. So yeah, rough season. That's yeah, rough season, rough <laughs> tour, rough tour. And then you know, the the irony that their sprinters gone, and they win a sprint stage with a non sprinter <laughs> right. from a from a breakaway. So um, yeah, but that was well deserved. I think you know they, they those four guys deserve to win the stage. Um, 
And the fact that none of those teams had won a stage was also contributing to the fact that there was going to be a perfect collaboration because now at this point, JB, even getting second in a stage is important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you're at least you're there, you know, you're there. You had some, some details on uh, one of the guys in the break, Jonas Abramson, the kind of story. Abramson, pretty cool story there. Share that. Yeah. Yeah, I read, I mean, I had read this before the before the tour already, but I just looked it up again. So Jonas Abrahamson, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's 25, 26. But anyway, this is a rider um, in the under 20. I saw some pictures of him in the Tour de l'Avenir. And he was, I think he won like, he, I may, he may have won a mountain stage or he was in the front on a mountain stage. And uh, I've seen this rider in a lot of Belgian races in the lead up to the Tour de France, really doing a lot of work, really strong, pulling a lot for, um, what was his name? Rasmus Tiller was the leader in those races or, or one of the other guys. But the guy was impressive, did a lot, a lot of work. Like, But you could see really like a strong, strong, like he looks like a bull on a bike. Uh, now, then I read the story that he made the decision in the last two years, two or two, two and a half years, he wo- he was weighing 60 kilos. What's that in pounds? That is uh, 132 pounds. Okay. So, and he decided that, you know, he was kind of fragile, didn't have enough power to be with the, the real climbers. And he made the decision and listen to this. this I, I had to read it twice. He decided voluntarily to gain 20 kilos that's like 33 if you weigh 60 kilos and you want to gain 20 that's 33 percent of your body weight so you to, he, he got to 80 kilos that's adding over 40 pounds yeah that's like that's and so a, that's a big difference because he decided and he it in his mind for him there are better opportunities to be that kind of rider i mean he did it over obviously very controlled and over a long period of time, not not just by eating crap, <laughs> right? Uh, but but he he thinks that for him there's more opportunities to be at the surface of your team, to be in breakaways, to be a good time trialist, sprint, rather than being light but not having the necessary talent to be up there with the climber. So his pure power, his max power, went up from. 900 watts weighing 60 kilos to 1500 watts weighing 80 kilos and and he's you know the i read the story and he's satisfied and i mean the fact that he made the tour de france team is already a, an amazing story for a rider like this because if he weighs 60 kilos he's maybe not there anymore in stage 18 he would be home already yeah that's that's so smart of him to figure out you know what is your value Right. Normally it's the other way around, right? They all want to lose weight, right? They all want to yeah. be skinny. Uh, this guy is different. I mean, you can look it up. It's all over the internet, the story. And uh, yeah, I found, I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it, but if you look at the pic, if you look at the pictures, it is actually uh, a true story. And, you know, stage 18, he's up there um, for the stage win. Uh, one last thing about today that that you noticed. Uh, I've always said this on the show. Like you know, uh, Johan's always observing a lot of a lot of things that a lot of us don't think about. 
And you said that it looks like Pogacar was in good spirits and he's yeah. okay with everything going on. And, you know, a lot of us thought he might go home. We, we speculated he might be sick, mm -hmm. but uh, it just, you know, that uh, he's just such an easy rider to be a fan of. Yeah. His I mean, attitude. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I mean, and, and listen, and in, I mean, and in France, JB, He's going to be incredibly popular now. He's he's the he's second, he's second. He's smiling. You know he's he, he was you know he was suffering like a dog yesterday. People are going to love him. That's the French. I mean, already you know he's a popular writer. But but I could see today that he was you know smiling in good spirits. You know he's in the race. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's you know hats off to him to to remain upbeat and you know what listen if they would have told me at some point in my career hey you're going to be second as a tour i said hey, but where do <laughs> where do i sign this deal exactly <laughs> exactly it, people yeah people would have been hard on him if he went home you know instead yeah. of riding yeah. into paris and he'll be a, a gentleman all the way and congratulate you'll be probably be the first to congratulate Jonas. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, today I saw two inter interviews of both of them, and you know, they're super. These young guys are super nice. Uh, they speak highly of each other. They respect each other. Um, it's nice to see. It's nice to see that they are such competitors, such rivals on the road. But then, and we've seen this during the whole tour. You know, straight after the finish, they're always because both of them have to go to the podium. They're always cooling down on their home trainer in the same area behind the podium. So they meet each other every day, right? After the stage. Uh, and there's always straight away congratulations from the one to the other. Um, so yeah, I think they they have tremendous respect for each other. Um, so yeah, there's, know, been, other, can, there's can, been other times in, in cycling. I think I mentioned it a week ago on the show. Wouldn't it be something in, in 25 years, they're meeting up in Mallorca to go ride and hang out and, you know, just like you and, and, and Lance, George, and uh, Jan, Jan Ulrich. Jan Ulrich. And yeah. Jan Ulrich, yeah. especially. Like, that's cool. Like, that's really cool. Uh, JB, it's, it's, you know, for me, for me, and I've said it already on the show, I don't know if we're going to talk about the move Mallorca on another show, but... Um, you know, that that's just so nice to see, you know, because I've lived that rivalry from inside and I was part of that rivalry, you know, and 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 it was kind of, you know, the guys didn't really know each other personally, but they, you know, we didn't like Jan. We, we, <laughs> we, it's like we didn't know him, but we made sure we didn't like him because it, it kind of gives you extra fuel, right? Yeah. Uh, and, no, and uh, I learned something too. Maybe this is a good time to talk about it because I uh, just before this trip, I read the new Jan o book about Jan Ulrich, mm -hmm. the, Dan the Daniel Freiba book, which is very good. But I didn't know there was a bit of rivalry with you and a director. Yeah, on their team, we, you guys were like from a village apart. We, and we, were, we, live, we live 300 meters from each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and who was that? Yeah. What was his name again? Rudy Pavenage. So you yeah. guys had your own pissing match too, right? Well, we raced together. We raced. He's older than me. I think he's like ten years older than me. So, but I raced with him when he was at the end of his career. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as uh, I became a director, we were we were rivals, and and we also did not like each other. 
<laughs> not like each other at all. Uh, so what so about yeah. today? Bury the hatchet uh, or no? Still a little uh, tension. Yeah, you, don't be you embarrassed. Don't, don't do it. There's about three people I will never speak to again in my <laughs> life. So no, no, no. I'm I mean, not going to judge. No, I'm not, there's no, no hard feelings at all. We have no, we have no, no contact, no relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So. Not good or bad, but I, no. that was an interesting dynamic in that book. I didn't know that adds yeah. a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. It does. It does. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk about tomorrow. I, and I, I said it on the move. I think tomorrow is a, today, let me back up. Today is a very good day to listen to outcomes you know, you and Spencer are very good when it's the third week of the tour and legs are tired and you know, riders and teams that are desperate for a win and you know, who has the talent to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow shapes up to be one of those days. Tomorrow is hard. I mean, if you look at the profile, you know, it's, it's 173 kilometers. There's only two categorized climbs, but if you look, it's like, it's like, it's like a saw, you know, it's like up and down, up and down. It's hard. So. If today they couldn't bring it back, tomorrow they're not bringing it back. Tomorrow's a breakaway. And especially stage 19, so many teams who haven't won anything. They know they're not going to win on stage 20. They know they're not going to win on stage 21. Tomorrow is like all or nothing. Desperate attacks coming yeah. right, left, and center. You know, this will be a good, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but, you know, Lance said, you know, uh, Sudal Quickstep was the big question mark. They needed a win because they're mm -hmm. one of those teams that's yeah. expected. And after they got the win today, he goes, he said, that should take care of the teams that you expect mm -hmm. to have a stage win. Let me, let me have you expand on that. Do you feel that way? Or is there somebody that's sitting there going, well, yeah, they, Oh, I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to go through the teams here. Um, but from off the top of my mind, um, I don't know if um, EF, did they win a stage? I don't think so. No. Uh, a lot of polka dot, but. Yeah, Groupama, FDG, no stage win. Um, Movistar, no stage win. Astana, no stage win. Uh, I mean, there's plenty, plenty, plenty. DSM, no stage win. Uh, Bora, no stage win. I mean, Arkea, nothing. Oh, Bora was Bora was Henley. I mixed that one up this this morning. Was that? Did Henley get a stage win? Oh yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I confuse. I threw out Bora's name too. Yeah, Bora. Yeah, boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look how long ago. You know, nobody remembers. I know it was a long time ago. A stage five. Stage five. Yeah. Of those teams, who's... Intermarseille, Inter who no stage win. Jayco Alula, no stage win. You know, I mean, it's, they go on and on and on. So, yeah. um, and then there's other other teams that, you know, like like four, four Sudal, Lotto, no stage win. Um, you know, for a team like Sudal, Quick Step, I mean, they want a stage now, but they're going to want more. <laughs> they're still, they're still going to be aggressive because yeah. they also know that it's that is their last chance tomorrow. So, Ala Philippe is going in a stay in, in the breakaway tomorrow. Somebody else, maybe Asgreen again. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Sudal Quickstep. They, you know, it's they they always win a stage in 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 the tour. You know, I think it's the third time they had to wait 
until stage 18. Uh, there was another time when they had to wait stage in stage one year. They won only one stage and they had to wait until stage 21. They won on the Champs-Élysées. Well, today is a very good day to um, uh, sign up for the season pass, get outcomes, and you'll have it through the tour next year up till this point. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, it's really interesting. I can't yeah, wait. And outcomes again. just for the, the, the people who are listening or watching, you know, we don't just predict the Tour de France. We, we predict the, the Giro, the Vuelta, all the World Cup races, classics. So uh, it's the whole season. And in, in those other races, there's more wild cards. The the Tour de France is more predictable, correct? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's uh, especially the difficult stages. It's between the guys who are up there for GC. And then you can see who still has the the, the legs. One day races is different. You know, you it's it's much more unpredictable. Okay. Uh, before we do our Ventum trivia and a couple of questions for, for you, uh, it, I want you to tell more of the story because you're such a great storyteller. It came up on the show where George shared that he never had a guaranteed spot on the, on the tour roster that you would tell him, you know, there's no guarantee and you would let him know every year if he made the squad or not. Oh, did he say, and did he, what he, was he surprised about that? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like he, he was like, yeah, I had to earn my spot. You know, Johan would tell me it's like, you, it's not a guarantee you're on this team. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I don't really remember if we, I, I, I think, you know, it was, a, it was a way of motivating him. Mm-hmm. No, I, I knew that I would take George. I, there was a few guys like George Enkopi, Vyacheslas Ekimov, Chechu Rubiera. Pavel Padernos, these guys were like the core. You know, we needed those guys. There was no way there was they were not going to go if they were in normal shape. You know, I mean, you could also be out of shape or having come back from injury or sickness. But I, I, I made sure that these guys were never sure, never taking it for granted because I mm-hmm. wanted them to know that there was competition. You know, and that's why there was always 12, 13, 14 candidates for nine spots. Uh, and so I expected, you know, not that they were kind of pushing themselves so far than then come empty to the tour, but that they needed to show me that I made the right decision. So it was, you know, it was a motivating mm-hmm. button that I had to, to just to make say, hey, George, hey, just so you know, there's only one guy. That is guaranteed there is Lance. Everybody else has to earn their spot. I love it. It, it worked because he always <laughs> showed up in great shape. <laughs> and he's still in he's still in great shape. So those yeah. habits, you've set habits for a lifetime for him. <laughs> uh okay. Uh your Ventum trivia. This is a chance to win an NS1, the road bike, a complete bike. We will draw it on Sunday. Uh every day people email in their answers, it puts you in the drawing. And uh, you'll find out. You may win a new bike. And it's a great bike uh, on Sunday. Yesterday's question, just for fun, was who was the first American to win the Tour de France? And that was Greg LeMond. Today's question is who is this year's youngest rider? Hmm. All right. And, I, you know, um, so send in your, your answer. All right. It, uh, go do the research. You can look at, look up all the ages of all the riders on the rosters, send the answer to trivia at ventumracing.com. All right. And they'll draw from all the correct answers today. I know who it is. 
Ah. Can you give us a little, <laughs> little, little hint? Where are they from? Where, where I'm from, where I'm from. Where, where, where are they from? The correct answer. Where, where am I oh, from? Oh, where, where I'm from. Oh, okay. Okay. Little help, little help, mm. little hint. And again, send it to trivia at VentumRacing.com. Good luck. couple questions for you. Uh, Johan, has there ever been a rogue slash bandit rider, not an official member of any team, and they tried to sneak into the race in the Tour de France? That's from Scott in <laughs> uh, North Carolina. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I do. I remember one. I mean, I don't remember the, st- the exact stage or the, or the, not even the year, but I do remember a mountaintop finish. I don't remember if it's Alps or Pyrenees. And um, the first riders came in, and then between the first riders and the, and the next riders, all of a sudden there was three or four riders. You could clearly see they were not cyclists. And they, were, they had a yellow jersey, a green jersey, a pocket dot, and a white jersey. And they were just got in and crossed the finish line, even <laughs> raising their hands. These are just drunk guys having fun is what it sounds like. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they were drunk. It was obviously, uh, you know, a prank and, and probably a bet, you know, that they did with each other. But, uh, but yeah, that happened. Uh, the tour was really pissed off. And then one of them uh, even managed to get, like, during the podium ceremony, all of a sudden he climbed on the podium. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember Bernard Hinault, who was then... Working for ASO, Benron, you know, five to five time to the France winner, um, amongst other things. Uh, he was still with ASO and he was there always at the podium, and he was known as being like a a warrior, you know. The guy was not afraid to it's get tough. the fists out. And yeah. uh pushed the, he pushed those guys off the podium. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah, yeah we talked <laughs> about just to refresh uh, our listeners' memory, that we talked about Hino. You know, punching a protester and that famous yeah. clip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah I, I, that's one time that I, that I know personally that it happened and it's probably happened other times. I bet in the early days, there were some people that tried to slide in there, you know, because it was, they, 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 it was, it was, they would be miles apart from each other. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was completely, I mean, you, you cannot imagine. Listen, one of the first times the Tudor, I don't remember which year, but one of the very first times the Tour de France was organized, the actually guy who won the tour was the guy who finished fifth. That was 1904. The that first was- four guys were disqualified because they took the train. And you know what? That guy that won, uh, some listeners sent some info in on that. I think that was that Hen- Henry uh, Perret that we talked about. He also got in a car in that tour, but they only gave him a warning. Oh, (laughs) 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 hey JB, if if the stage is of 400 or 480 kilometers, what would you do? Yeah, you know, this let's just get the train for 100 kilometers. You know, (laughs) (laughs) they didn't know what it was, that was only the second year. Um, okay, here's another really good question here. Um, Johan, what year was the first introduction of the team manager with riders via earpiece in the race? Hmm. How big was the change that this made uh, to tactics and race results? It must have been a huge change. That's from Eugene in Cape Town. 
Yeah. Um, I, I remember, I mean, definitely, it was definitely during my era, uh, because I've known with, without and with radios. So um, I, I would think somewhere around 92, 93, when Motorola came with a system, but it was kind of a test. Um, but I do remember guys like Steve Bauer and and Phil Anderson, I think, on Motorola. They had like an earpiece and they had a little microphone on the handlebars. And obviously, you know, those things were connected because it had to be connected to a battery. So it was kind of very early stages, but they could talk. I, I you know, I was next to one of those riders and I could hear them speak. They had to go like close to the handlebars and say, okay, you know, this guy and this guy and this guy <laughs> in the breakaway. Uh, I don't remember it being on the handlebars. Yeah. Yeah. And then it evolved towards uh, the helmet first. There were helmets. And I, I, I think it was also in, 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 in collaboration with, with Motorola. I don't remember. I do remember that on my team in Onse, this, so this was, must have been 90, <clears throat> 94, 95, probably just after, um, that there was a system. So the, the, the guy, we had two riders. Initially, there was just a few riders, like the road captains, right? Yeah, uh, they could, and they could, they could spread the commands. In, yeah, in, that they the could Peloton. communicate with. Because normally, what happened before was that the road captain, you always had a road captain, like an experienced guy, and he uh, there was instructions. And then sometimes the guy went back to the car. You had to go back to the car to get instructions, and then get back to the peloton. It's okay, you know, come on, let's go. We, we need to ride, you know. You also saw a lot bigger gaps before you could get the team together and start riding because you didn't know who was there. You know, you didn't know if you had to ride or not. So, and, and you only good. got, and you would get the gap updates on a chalkboard on the moto. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so those systems with the helmets was, there was a battery in your, in, uh, you know, in your, in your Jersey. And then with some kind of wire, it was connected. There was, there was an earpiece. And there was a little, like a little mic like this, <laughs> uh, and you had to push a button and on the back of the helmet to speak. And then you could, whenever the whenever the director talked, you could hear always hear, but you have to had to activate the mic to to speak. Hmm. That was mid nineties, and then um, <clears throat> ninety seven, ninety eight, I would say, was was when. Uh, the like the mobile the little credit card format radio started um and and, and 99 was my first year with postal that was the first we were the first team that we had the whole team on radios the whole the, the entire team because back then there was already the little radios but just two per two per team you know that was like the 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 habit so um so yeah 99 was the, the the year that we did it and then of course in 2000 everybody did it. Yeah, we even <laughs> we even tried it on our amateur team back in Texas and it was a disaster. It was pointless. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no crowd noise when we were doing it. It was just a disaster. It was more trouble than it was worth, but we tried. You know, you want to do what the pros do, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> All yeah. right. Uh if you have a question for Johan, just a few days left. 
send it in to JB squared. That's JB two at we do dot team. All right. We'll talk tomorrow. Johan. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Speak tomorrow. Mm-hmm.